Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hourly to Exit podcast. I am starting a new series about copyrightability. As you know, U.S. copyright law protects original works of authorship. The works that qualify are referred to as being copyrightable. So this series will focus on what makes a work copyrightable. This will be a three-part series. This part one will be about originality. Part two will be about derivatives. And part three will be about public domain and related issues. So to start with originality. It was born from a workshop experience where we were going over my, is your expertise copyrightable assessment? And there are so many questions about originality that I knew I had to explain it a bit more. So starting with the U.S. Supreme Court regarding originality, the Supreme Court said that the originality requirement means only that the work was independently created by the author as opposed to copied from other works, and that it possesses at least some minimal degree of creativity. So originality has two elements. First, independence. The work must be created without directly copying or adapting from another source. And creativity. And this is a very basic threshold. A lot of questions about how unique does it need to be? What if something I've been thinking about for years and other people have written about it also? It's not about artistic merit and is not about how innovative it is. You can write about some same old standard ideas about how to train a dog, but the way that you write about it, the way that you talk about it, the way that you illustrate it has to be original. So that's the creativity is really about not copying, right? Still kind of the same way of talking about originality. Derivatives will get their own episode. Derivatives are works that are adaptations or modifications of pre-existing works. So that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about independent creation. So I'm going to flip the order that I talk about it, though. We talk about independent creativity, independent creation with a minimum degree of creativity. I'm going to talk about the minimum degree of creativity first and then close it out with the independence. So Because the threshold for creativity is so low, minimal degree of creativity, I think it'll be really helpful to to talk about a few examples of what doesn't meet the threshold. And just remember, as I talk about these, these are just examples. There's no way, of course, I could provide an exhaustive list, but this is for you to help you think about 
honestly, like how low the bar is, but that if you don't meet that bar, then that's probably not something that would meet the copyrightability standards. All right. So first, when no creativity is involved in footage or photograph, I just like to talk about this one because a lot of people have ring cameras or dash cams and is what is recorded copyrightable. And this is an example of a mechanical recording for that ring camera. It's a prepositioned device, your dash cam. Also, you put it there and then you drive around and go about your day. And you aren't composing shots with your dash cam. You're not composing shots with your ring camera. So generally, and I'll use some squishy terms like generally and probably and maybe and might, because obviously everything is specific. But generally, these prepositioned devices where you're not staging the shot are not going to meet the requisite threshold of originality. Now, that doesn't mean that footage is in the public domain, which we'll talk about in part three. There will still be protectable interests probably in that footage. People have rights to privacy. So anyone who appears in there, their license plates or their property and people have publicity rights. So, you know, you can't make somebody an Internet star without their permission. There might be music in there. There might be a store or something in there. So that doesn't mean just because it was on a dash cam that there's no, nobody has any protectable rights. They might, but they're not, probably not copyrightable. List of ingredients and instructions for recipe. You really can't separate the idea of the recipe, kind of the non-protectable parts of it, the ingredient list, the quantities the basics of how to stir and how hot the oven is. The expression of the idea is copyrightable. The idea itself isn't. But when all you have, that expression is just kind of basically facts. You can't copyright quantities, ingredients, degrees of oven. So when you have a recipe book, I mean, you, I'm sure, or cookbook, I guess you should say, you probably have some cookbooks on your shelf, then you'll see that they have copyright protection. So the copyright doesn't apply to the recipe. It applies to all the little stories that go around it. You'll see if you go online and you look for recipe online and it's buried at the bottom of this story about the recipe. It's because the recipe itself is not protectable, but the story about it is protectable. And so that is the reason for your frustration. If you're anything like me, I'm always frustrated when I'm trying to find the recipe online. Another thing that is not copyrightable, something that's inevitable that different creators acting completely independently without any idea what the other person is doing would arrive at similar or even identical results because there's just so many ways to express an idea. So this is something that's functional, like writing about the rules of how to play checkers. How many ways are there to describe how to play checkers or how to train a dog? I mean, there could be something original about it, but there's some things that are just two independent people without even knowing the other exists. And they're probably going to come up with the same content that is considered inevitable and probably not going to meet the minimum standards of creativity. There is a French term called sens affaire. So this refers to situations, characters, settings, or incidents that are standard or customary to a particular genre. And so those would not be protectable. For instance, you're writing a vampire novel. Your vampire sleeps in a casket. She doesn't go out at night during the day. 
and she's afraid of garlic. Well, guess what? Those elements are not copyrightable. You can't put those things in your vampire novel, claim copyright protection for them, and nobody else can write about those things, right? So those standard situations, standard characteristics, those things that, you know, by nature of the genre of the, even if it's a fictional and highly creative, those elements that are the sense affair would not be protectable. Next, we have common geometric shapes or familiar symbols like a stop sign or a smiley face or a peace symbol. They don't have the necessary level of originality. They're considered functional or utilitarian and quite frankly, just too simple to get the copyright protection. Sometimes you'll have a geographic shape. You'll see an outline of a country, outline of the U.S. You'll see that people do an outline of a state or other natural formations, the outline of a mountain, you know, Matterhorn or something. And so these are not the outlines or even whole painting of it. That would not be, but the original elements of it would be. So the shape of the U.S., no. But if you then take it and paint it in a way that is creative, then that would be. I see these cutting boards in the shape of a state, and then they do some etchings on there. The shape of that cutting board and the shape of a state would not be copyrightable, but the creative etchings that are on there might be copyrightable. So it is the artistic expression that you layer on top of the symbol, crazy looking smiley face or crazy looking piece symbol, that artistic expression would be copyrightable, but not the symbol itself. And works consisting entirely of commonly known information or facts that does not contain original authorship. This would apply to, say, a standard calendar or a directory of people. So when we look at calendars and you'll get one that has a copyright claim on it, and that is because of all the photographs of firefighters or whatever it is, or dogs pooping. I saw one recently, a calendar of dogs pooping in interesting places. So those elements are copyrightable, but the calendar piece is not. So, you know, I keep myself organized by calendars that I download off the internet that are just plain, just the numbers and the months. And obviously those are not copyrightable. A directory of names or facts might be copyrightable under certain circumstances, depending on some level of creativity that you add. So something about the coordination or arrangement needs to be creative. Now here, the standard of creativity will need to be a little higher than just the minimal because you're starting with facts that are commonly known. So if you want to get protection over facts that are commonly known, then you do need to do something that is kind of innovative in the way that you're presenting them. It can't just be that you hand wrote them or something. So that unique expression or presentation of the information or facts or ideas, that unique expression or presentation might be protectable, but not the underlying facts themselves. So those are some examples of what does not meet the minimum level of creativity. Use those to think about some others that are similar, that are just kind of common. And it's really hard to allow someone to get exclusive rights that you get with copyright for these things that are just everywhere and common and by the way, that doesn't mean publicly known. And we'll talk about that in the public domain episode. So the fact that something's publicly known 
does not mean that it isn't creative. All right. Now we're going to the second element, which is independence. So when we're talking about independence, I'm going to assume that we are trying to create it without copying another source. That is our intent to create something original. We sat down at our computer, started typing, and we believe that it is independent and that we didn't copy anyone. However, there's this thing called unconscious copying. And that came up in my workshop as well. Like, well, what about there are all these people out there talking about all these things? How do I make sure that I don't, you know? And that is an issue. Another term I liked, I think it's a UK term. I just saw this on the internet and I couldn't find out more about it, but I really liked it. It's called ambient influence, which I think is also an interesting way to look at it. But unconscious copying, ambient influence, it does have implications under copyright law. It is, you know, what happens if you're unconsciously influenced by other people's work, especially something that's really influential in the field. And their presence is ambient all over the place. Whenever we're talking about a certain area that we may engage in, that person's work keeps popping up. It's hard to write about being brave without a little bit of Brene Brown sneaking in there or, you know, writing a daily email list. Maybe you sound a little bit like Seth Godin, right? So, but the doctrine of subconscious copying does allow for liability without regard to the intent or knowledge of the copying. So even if the copying is unconscious, if it rises to the level of copyright infringement, and you'll need to go to the last series, I just did a three-part series on copyright infringement. So, but if we have subconscious copying and it rises to the level of a copyright infringement, then the fact that you did not intend or didn't even realize that you're copying will not save you. So you can be on the hook for copying someone else's work, even if you honestly didn't mean to and didn't know it. So the issue really is in today's world, we're constantly bombarded with information online. Now, when this doctrine of subconscious copying was created, it was a different world. We weren't constantly bombarded with information all day, every day in podcasts, you know, in our scrolling through our phone. Everywhere we go, we're getting information from a lot of sources and that we may not even realize it. And so there has been a push against this doctrine. But at the end of the day, it is between the unconscious copier and the person who has a valid copyright, who's in a better position to prevent it from happening. Again, we have in the previous series, we talk about what we can do as copyright owners to minimize the possibility of somebody copying our work, but that applies to conscious copying. It doesn't apply. We, there's no way for us to protect against subconscious copying. So between the two, who is in the better position to prevent it? And at the end of the day, it is the person who may have subconsciously copied because it would be incredibly easy to say, hey, I, you know, I thought I did it all by myself. It's easy to say that, and it'd be very difficult for the person who was, in fact, copied to prove that, no, you didn't. It was conscious copying and not subconscious copying. And so it kind of provide, it would provide a defense that would be unfair to the person with the copyright protection. So what does that mean for you? So you need to be especially important. This is especially important for you if you're in a niche that has just a handful of really prominent voices that basically most people 
recognize. And so you need to make sure that their works don't seep into your subconscious when you're creating content. So be aware. There are these prominent voices and I need to be aware that I'm not somehow subconsciously incorporating their voices. And you do that by making sure that you have your own voice. Remember, the ideas are freely available. You can talk about their ideas. You can talk about bravery. You can talk about being unique and showing up and positioning and niches and all the things and leadership, all the things that we hear from big voices all the time. You can take their ideas. Those are freely usable. But the expression needs to be original. So make sure that when you're writing about these things, that you are mindful that those prominent voices aren't seeping into your work because it is on you to make sure that doesn't happen. There are some tools to make sure that you haven't done that. I noticed recently when I was doing spell check on something, so this is in Word, that it had an option to check if you find something on the internet. And I tried it just to see how it worked. And frankly, it kept working and working and working and nothing ever happened. And so, you know, I don't have all day and I stopped uh, using it. But there are tools. If you are worried about that, there are tools to use that you can make sure you haven't subconsciously copied something. And so I know it seems a little bit scary that you can be caught for subconscious copying, but I want to emphasize the ideas are freely usable. So if you subconsciously take somebody's idea, it's okay. But if you subconsciously create a copyright infringement, which means you've copied their work, you've copied their expression, then that is not okay. And we find this, frankly, we find we don't find this so much in the work that we do. We know that this happens a lot in music because for some kind of beat or chord or thing to get into your brain and then you sit down and write without realizing that you heard it somewhere is a lot easier to do than it is in the work that we do. So I don't want you to panic about it, but I do want you to be mindful of it. So thank you for another episode. I do want to say that the copyrightability series is sponsored by Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps B2B experts with corporate clients lay the intellectual property foundation required to build new scalable revenue streams. Think Beyond IP has the legal expertise and the corporate experience to provide expert focus to the issues that matter most to you and to your corporate clients. I encourage you to get your free assessment. Is your expertise copyrightable? You can get that at thinkbeyondip.com. I'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.